what's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Shadow Talk, Digital Shadows Weekly Threat Intelligence Podcast. With me today, I have the normal cadre. I have Alec, Charles, and Rick. How are you guys doing today? Pretty good. Yourself? Doing great. Good. Rick, I, uh, I see that you have the... Uh, the background of my office on your video right now. <laughs> you haven't had that the whole time, have you? And I'm just noticing it. No, I just put that up. Oh, okay. All right, cool. Um, yeah, there's actually a, a backstory there. If uh, some of our listeners aren't connected with Rick on LinkedIn or Twitter, um, on Tuesday, as a follow on to Halloween, I decided to dress up as Rick. <laughs> <laughs> And um, yeah, I was sporting a bald cap and his glasses or glasses that at least looked like his and it threw me for a loop and I think it threw you guys for a loop as well. You won the internet. You won yeah. the internet that day. Yeah, yeah, that was definitely interesting. I, uh, I scared myself a few times walking by mirrors that day. So um, for entertainment purposes, 10 out of 10 for working at home by yourself, do not recommend. <laughs> I'm not sure if I should be offended or not. I'm not really sure. Nah. I don't think so. I mean, it was just more or less my attempt to look like you, not necessarily the way that you look. You know what Imitation I'm saying? is the highest form of flattery, Rick. So. But you were frightened of it when you were working Ooh. by yourself. That's the part I'm because worried Because I'm used to having a full head of hair on a regular basis. So, so then it looks like there's a stranger in my house. <laughs> so now you're discriminating against the follicularly yes, challenged yes, people. Yes, this is uh, uh, follicular discrimination. Yeah. So bald people are scary to you, Casey. I'm calling just, Libby. Wow. that Not my intent at all. Okay, no, I'm not afraid of the follicularly... Um, this language is getting too complicated for me. No, <laughs> just no to all of it. Well, um, obviously we have a lot going on this week. Uh, there's plenty of activity going on in the United States right now due to presidential elections. And I just kind of wanted to start off this podcast with a little bit of an update. Um, some people have been asking or searching around for any kind of information. And I just wanted to let everyone know that at this time, we haven't observed any cyber attacks that are affecting any uh, voting processes. And I kind of wanted to tip my hat to CISA or the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Association. And this organization or this department of, of the government was created back in 2018. So over the last two years, they've been able to ramp up and they've released a lot of really helpful and important advisories and bulletins to kind of keep us in the loop of vulnerabilities, cyber threat actor activity, the general threat landscape. So I think it's been really helpful and I think it has really improved the overall security of election and voting processes. Do you guys have anything to add there? I just think it's really cool that we have a specific area in the government that's dedicated to this. I think CISA in general has done a good job with their alerts that they've been sending out, especially in the past several months, much more detailed with respect to TTPs of actors, the types of alerts you can take and, and do something with in your environment. So hat tip, hat tip to them. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, knowledge sharing is key in this area. And so them being able to put out that information, especially that detailed, uh, really helping out everybody in the area, in this area 
is uh, key to defending against the threats that are just constant. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, it's it's a huge help, especially like as you mentioned, all that detail that they have, the mitigation recommendations that they offer to not just, you know, other government organizations, but to organizations and individuals alike. I think that's a game changer. So hat tip to CISA. Thanks, guys. Um, as for kind of our first main topic this week, um, and kind of in the same breath of government-specific stuff, we have seen a North Korean cyber threat group that has been targeting government agencies with a new kind of malware. So Charles, I kind of want to point to your direction. Can you kind of give us a bit of a background on this North Korean group? I think it's called Kimuski. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so um, actually kind of picking back, uh, piggybacking off of the uh, CISA stuff earlier, uh, end of October, uh, they put out an alert kind of describing some of the activity that they had seen regarding this group uh, to kind of let people know, be aware of some of the new activity. So this group's actually been around uh, since like 2012, some of their more, more recent, act- or some of their earliest activity that's been documented, but now they've been targeting uh, some different groups, like a lot of South Korean think tanks, uh, and uh, that kind of falls in the MO since they think this group is tied to North Korea. Um, it kind of falls in that area, but they've uh, the the big stuff now is that they've been using some new new malware instead of some stuff that's been attributed to them previously. They've got some new tools that they've created uh, that they're using, and uh, those two currently called like the uh, KGH spy and C spy downloaders, and that's what they're using for uh, like evasion and and tool packaging and stuff. And once they get on a network, to be able to maintain persistence. Okay, so kind of, can you give us an idea of how the malware behaves, like? How is it delivered? What is it used for, et cetera? Can you give us a high-level overview there? Yeah, so they actually do, it's a lot of pretty standard stuff. A lot of it's delivered via phishing, spear phishing, uh, you know, social engineering style attacks. Uh, and uh, a lot of it, like once once it's on the network, some of the behavior that's been observed has been like uh, information stealing, key logging, uh, you know, things like that. So it, it tends to be less of a, a destructive kind of thing and more, it seems like more traditional espionage, information gathering, things like that. So. Okay, cool. So it's, it kind of follows the same lines of the most common attack vectors for malware delivery. And then it also kind of pulls back to your historic espionage groups that are generally state associated. So interesting. Cool. So I guess with this specific group, what do you think the motivation might be behind these attacks? I mean, we were talking espionage, but is there anything to kind of grab from that area? I think, you know, like some of the groups are targeting a lot of the, a lot of the South Korean think tanks, things like that. Like, I think it's just trying to get an idea maybe of some like policy changes, things like that, like stuff that might be being worked on in, in the South Korean government or other governments around the world. Uh, kind of just, you know, standard information gathering stuff that way North Korea can kind of adapt their posture and some of their policies and how they present themselves to the world. So, Okay, sweet. Thank you, Charles. Appreciate that one. Um, so on to the next topic, and this one's going to be on Maze. And I know that we have covered Maze so many times on this podcast. Um, beyond that, we're always talking about ransomware. So this was a, a pretty interesting development in this space. So on Maze News, uh, one of their press releases, which was posted on, I think, the 1st of November, uh, it declared that Maze is officially closing. 
pause for dramatic effect. Um, so the group actually, you know, expressed that they will be available for support in the next month because they're very customer service oriented. We've uh, spoken on that before as well. So what their goals are apparently is to show the world the weaknesses of digital security. And then they went on to warn that cyber criminals could cause significant damage without correction, which could even risk human life. So this perspective from such a highly successful ransomware group who have profited off or profited millions off of attacks kind of shows that they view their crimes as helpful. Um, beyond that, they've also referred to their victims as quote unquote clients. And that's almost as if they believed that the victim organizations indirectly hired them as kind of security professionals. So it's interesting to see that this group is completely backing out of the ransomware game, but we have seen other... Um, but are they? Yeah, I know, dun, exactly. Dun, dun. Yeah. Right. So we've seen other reports of this group potentially moving over to work with the Egregor ransomware variant or group. So it'll kind of be interesting to see if you know those reports or those observations are actually going to come to fruition so i guess just kind of hold tight and we'll see what happens one one comment just in general maze was one of the more prolific cast a wide net uh, groups that are out there even if they like legitly completely retired rest assured someone would step up in the space one of the things i talk about when we when we look at the ransomware actors they were doing their own promotion sites and things like that like i think in q1 we were tracking maybe two groups possibly three um, and now I think we have over 17 that have their own promotion sites doing the announcements and things like this. Um, as one of our analysts, uh, Jamie says, monkey see, monkey do. The the maze group, should they actually retire, their operations will be backfilled by someone else. Oh, yeah. Yeah, by definitely. And we've seen this before, like with GangCrab. Yeah, GangCrab, about, uh, about May or so of last year, they decided to, you know, hey, we've made enough money, we're going to go ahead and retire, and then enter the scene we see uh our evil or sudden okibi come about and you know, there's a lot of speculation that there's a lot to show that there is similarities between the source code of gang crab and the source code of, of our evil yeah yeah totally agree and actually on that note i've also heard other reports that um folks from the sudden okibi group are looking to move over to suncrypt i think it was um have you guys heard anything on that i haven't particularly um, but it doesn't surprise me. I mean, they're constantly sharing tooling. They're constantly just working together in this space. Uh, so it, it wouldn't be, you know, surprised to think that there's a new variant. And if it's something that's more sophisticated, it would make sense for them to go and pursue that route. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And then also, they've also, um, other reports have said that this could be a kind of intentional move to save their operational security. So it lowers the chances of them effectively being caught or pointed out like we've seen in so many previous indictments. So I guess kind of keep moving, don't get caught, move on yeah. to more successful things. Yeah, and I wonder if they were feeling any pressure from law enforcement. I mean, recent podcasts we've been talking about all the law enforcement activity we've been seeing, especially from the United States. So it's maybe they were feeling some uh, pressure yeah. and decided that, hey, we're going to hang up the towel, but... We all know that they're probably not going to hang up the towel <laughs> operating under something else. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I just I get such like serious William Gibson like 
book vibes uh, from like just reading like about ransomware operators talking about like changing jobs like they're going to a new team or something you know like it's just it's just such a weird like cyberpunk dystopia kind of thing like (laughs) and i love how they like justify all the money that they've elicited from these victims it's like we were doing it because we wanted to show you how dangerous your security practices can be right yeah "Mm, but but really that that money kind of way man yeah yeah Yeah, I mean, with all this kind of moving and since they already have a customer service group, I wonder if they're going to eventually develop their own HR group. I mean, that'll be crazy interesting, fielding resumes, giving raises. Yeah. May's IPO win. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) All right, cool. So on to our final topic for this week, Alec. So there is a Roba mobile malware campaign going on targeting U.S. Smart, smartphones. So what's kind of the overview of this campaign? We know that the Roaming Mantis group is spreading the Roba malware, but what does it actually do? Yeah, yeah. so the China-based, the believed to be China-based Roaming Mantis threat group, they've been observed targeting mobile devices in the United States. Uh, and so this version specifically of Roba steals information, can harvest financial data, uh, and then it actually can send text to self-propagate. So it'll send a text to another phone and then continue to propagate that way. Um, what it's doing is it's this, these texts are kind of keeping it in with the you know, COVID-19 phishing lures. It's appearing as like a text saying your parcel is out for delivery. Click here to go ahead and confirm it. And so that way you'll receive it. And as online shopping has become so apparent in a time where everybody's working from home or just staying home in general. Um, So it keeps in in line with kind of those like fishing lures that we've seen in response to COVID-19. But kind of interestingly, it impacts both Android and iOS users. So both Apple and Android devices, Android users get taken to a malicious site, which is then, you know, uh, actual malware is downloaded to the phone. Um, And then if you're an iOS user, you actually go to, a splash page of an Apple login where you're prompted for your credentials and that's where they attempt to harvest your credentials for your Apple account. So kind of interesting to see, yeah, the two different ways and how it, you know, it's self-propagating as I mentioned, and additionally how it's targeting two different uh, developers. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's especially interesting that the, the drive-by download kind of works effectively with Android, but then they have to intentionally harvest credentials from Apple users or iOS users. So I think that's really, really interesting. It, it kind of expands that net, like you were saying. So it, it takes two of the main uh, manufacturers and it effectively compromises their users. So that's qu- crazy. I almost said crazy. Um, so <laughs> Rope has been around for a while now. So what was it previously known for? Yeah, it's been around for a few years, uh, mainly targeted users in Asia Pacific region. Um, so it was first developed as an Android specific mobile banking Trojan. So it's interesting again to see now that it's expanding its iOS capabilities, uh, considering, you know, Apple has such a large foothold within the mobile user market. So it yeah, makes sense sure. why they would want to go ahead and expand in that way. Uh, but yeah, in 2018, we saw Roba starting to target uh, both Europe and the Middle East. Uh, and so, again, it's notable that they're additionally targeting the states now. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I kind of wonder if this has anything to do with the current climate in the U.S., especially with elections and stuff like that, or if this is just them expanding their geographical, you know, attack surface. So, I mean, it'll be curious to see kind of how this impacts users and what will eventually happen. But Alec, in the meantime, how can smartphone users protect themselves from this kind of stuff? Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of the same things that we reiterate, just kind of you know, just be naturally suspicious of anything that you receive. Don't click links that, you know, aren't expected. Um, only downloading applications from official mobile app stores. So the official Apple store, the official Google Play store uh, is a good way, although it's not necessarily, we have seen, you know, malicious mobile apps on those, but uh, definitely not downloading from third-party app stores is a, a good way to avoid uh, these type of tactics. Additionally, you know, in your settings on your phone, you can actually... Uh, disable the installation of you know applications so these like drive-by downloads that are impacting Android users you can disable that so that way it won't do it automatically so a couple different ways to avoid it but most importantly just you know be naturally suspicious of whatever you receive yeah hey that's cool I didn't even know that I mean I haven't had an Android in like five years but I didn't know that that was an option to check so that's a really good shout there this kind of entire campaign kind of reminds me of some research that we did a few weeks ago. Um, this is by one of the photon analysts, Ivan, and he put out a really cool research piece that's titled Clickbait to Checkmate. It's uh, how an SMS-based scam targeted U.S. smartphones and then eventually accessed victim locations. So listeners, if you are interested in kind of reading a little bit more about that, please take a look at that blog. It's kind of one of my favorites that we've done at least this quarter. And then I guess I'll go ahead and continue on with more of our shameless plugs. Um, Our Photon team also created a blog, and it's kind of interesting. I think it's really applicable in a lot of the general language that's used these days whenever talking about cybercriminal marketplaces. So it's basically a glossary of all these different terms and phrases, and it gives you a definition of basically what these mean and what the users are intending to communicate whenever they make these specific posts, be it on forums or marketplaces. So really handy tool, I think. And finally, if you guys haven't uh, listened just yet, uh, we just dropped a new podcast uh, that was with one of our very special guests, Phil Wiley. So um, that dropped today, and today's Thursday, 5th of November. So if you want to take a look at that, please do. And then, um, yeah, I think that should cover it for our plugs for this week. But I wanted to roll right on into a very special day today. Uh, Remember, remember the 5th of November. I know that this one, this podcast won't be published until tomorrow, being Friday, November 6th. But I kind of want to do, do a themed question around today's specific day. It's Guy Fox Day. So... As many of us are aware, uh, the Guy Fawkes mask over time has been popularized because the um, Anonymous Threat Collective used this mask in a lot of different spaces. So I was wondering if you guys were a part of a threat collective, what kind of mask would you use? One of those creepy horse head masks for sure. Ooh, that's good. (laughs) Facial mask that like rejuvenates nutrients on your skin. There you go. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. They I, have although I some see my like... wife wearing them sometimes and it scares me. What if I'm not expecting to see that? Good yeah. does, she, does, she do, does she do the cucumbers on her eyes too? He's like... <laughs> Sorry. Oh, the, 
Piper, the puppy, uh, is going a little crazy, so I was muted. Yes, she does that. Ah, uh, right on. I mean, they have some that look like animals now on the mask part. Like, I, I just did a sloth one, like, two months ago. That was pretty great. But, yeah. Let's just do morph suits. All right. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, I think that that should wrap us up for this week. Thanks so much, listeners, for tuning in again. Thank you, guests. Really appreciate you for joining me here. Always happy to be here. Stay safe. (laughs) Y'all have a good one.